hold that thought. All right. Hey, everybody. It's us. Back, baby. Well, we actually, we, we might be back. We don't know. Wahoo! We don't know when this will be up. But, but Craig's back. Craig is back. Hey, Craig, it's good to have you back, buddy. Well, uh, today is a very special day. We've gathered here to talk about uh, Spotify and privacy. Truly, the, the, the concern of the modern day. And uh, I think that Spotify is just a, an entry point to a larger discussion about, you know, how we value our stuff. And whether or not you want to give that stuff away to the people who want your stuff. So I think that that's um, more or less why we've gathered here today. Uh, does anyone have any updates for the fans or, uh, or things of note that have transpired since we last were, were on air? Things of note? I don't think much has happened, frankly. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of things have happened. I just, yeah. I think the audience is caught up to the, Nothing, the daily man. happenings of things. Nothing has happened in my life. <laughs> I've just been sitting in the same chair since the last time we recorded <laughs> yeah. an episode. I mean, pretty much. So, uh, one thing that we can do is uh, is say all of our names uh, so that <laughs> the listeners know whose voice is whose. I've heard, I've seen in the comments, and sometimes people are a bit concerned about that. In the comments, so, uh, comments. What are comments? Wait, is that is that a, is that a joke or is that actually a thing? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm messing. In uh, know your enemy, they always say that at the beginning of the episode. Well, we They're sound, like, we sound different. I think. Yeah, we sound different. We're, we're, sound easy different. To, we're easy to tell apart. But I think I think there's something nice about you know the mystery. You know, you sort of start to create these like I mean, you know, this is this is me hypothetically being being a hypothetical audience of ours, which you know <laughs> very hypothetical. Um you know, if you don't know who everybody is, you start to just make personas and then and then you don't have to know who everybody is. It's just the voice, yeah, you know. We are who we are. I don't need everyone to know that I'm Mad Zlotnik. <laughs> And then yeah, my you email should, is um... whatever the email. <laughs> you should start. Um, you should start doing an Akshay impression whenever you're talking on the um, on the call. Yeah. So we can't I tell you. Can do an Akshay expression. Impression. <laughs> What's an Akshay expression? <laughs> That's a good question. There must be something that's an Akshay expression. No, there, there must be. Yeah, sometimes he's like, whoa. Yeah, that's actually that's actually what I was thinking. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. I just didn't want to I just didn't want to say because I didn't know if I could execute. Is that a uh, is that pull off the Akshay expression? <laughs> that one's an Akshay okay. expression too. <laughs> anyway. Alright. Yeah, you should um Get us going. Get us going, okay? All right. So for background, you know, one of the places that we sometimes pull content from, even though we have our own personal opinions about it, is the old Pitchfork. And they recently reported on a 
new Spotify patent that was just filed. Uh, it was filed actually two years ago, but it was just approved. Yeah, never mind. It was filed February 21st of 2018, and it was patented January 12th of 2021. So three years later, we now have this patent in the world, and uh, Spotify took note because it, uh, it was a pretty interesting patent. Uh, especially when it when it comes to the kinds of data that Spotify plans to use. So they, they claim that they're going to use audio data collected from users' microphones, either computers or phones, it wasn't specified, uh, but they'll extract from the audio data information like intonation, stress, rhythm, and the likes of units of speech and try to uh, assign that as metadata to, uh, to a user, kind of conveying things about their emotional state, their gender, their age, their accent, uh, even the context in which they're listening. So things like whether or not they're home alone or with other people. And then use that to improve their recommendation system. So, you know, I think it's important to point out how Spotify currently uh, recommends music uh, and they use a large machine learning algorithm that is trained on not only single users, but also other users, uh, in which they basically collect information about users' Facebook data that they have available to, as well as the people they follow, um, and build out a network of relationships, essentially, between um, you know artists that people listen to in common, songs that people listen to next to each other, um, and kind of build up the data set in that way. But they propose this new approach as what they call is an entirely different approach to collecting taste attributes of a user, particularly one that is rooted not in existing technologies, but one that is uh, instead derived from human activity. Um, so uh, they, they hope to, uh, to derive more information from the person's life than just their engagement with the app itself. They're trying to make data collection more passive uh, and less active. And I think that that ties to a bigger phenomenon in the, in the field, which is that uh, people want to facilitate uh, data collection so it is as easy as possible for you to give away your data, basically. Um, and so this patent was filed. Uh, it was recently approved. And so now Spotify has essentially licensed to do this more or less uh, in their new technologies. Um, Pitchfork closes the article by saying that um, this may or may not make its market. P companies are always patenting new technologies. And Spotify, when asked, said, you know, this is one of many patents that we filed in the last uh, few years. Uh, we cannot at this point say whether or not it'll be part of this future Spotify product. So I'm curious hearing just first what y'all's reaction is to the technology itself, uh, it, it to me at least was was pretty interesting. Like it's uh, it's certainly a bold proposal uh, for changing the way that Spotify would work. So, what do y'all think? Agree. Um, it's like you know the data that they're trying to gather is is. I guess it's not all necessarily new data, but um, you know they they could potentially get some uh some some new data that might help them um find you know more interesting insights you know it, it basically 
it basically changes the game a little bit, right? There, there's there's more to play with, and and I don't know. I mean, the Spotify algorithm's already pretty pretty good, uh, I would say, but uh, but maybe it just gets like maybe it's just perfect. Maybe everything I want to hear and I don't know about just like instantly comes to me, and that's kind of cool. But obviously, you know, it comes at a comes at a cost. Well, you know, I think I think that the core the core question comes down to something that I believe we've talked about before, which is how much how much do we care about each I guess I would say like hit on our privacy when we're already in a situation where our privacy is pretty is pretty much demolished, I would say. Mm. Like how much worse is it that they're using that they're using your voice or different new types of metadata when Google already if you go to if you go kind of like into their under the hood you can see exactly what they think about you based off of your web history they know they know like they can pin down my age my race my like my political affiliations. I can pin down a lot of things just based off of my web search history, basically, and like what I'm interested in, what I interact with. TikTok, we thought we talked about TikTok a lot. They're using my data. They're using how much I look at a particular video, cross-referencing that with their tags on it and seeing what I like, who I am. So I'm not really under the illusion that I have any degree of privacy. If somebody wanted to find me, they could 100% find me just based off of how I've lived on the internet for the past however many years. And because I haven't put that much effort into being um, kind of unplugged from that. So I'm honestly, I don't really care as much about privacy concerns as I think some other folks do because I already feel like my privacy is a bit of an illusion if that makes sense so i do feel like there are different extents to how much your privacy has been violated or has been compromised and to me it feels like a significant and not arbitrary divide between spotify collecting data on me when i am choosing to interact with the application Really clicking on things, right? Liking stuff, making playlists, adding, following, etc. Yeah. That seems to be fundamentally different than them collecting audio recordings of my life and trying to make inferences on that. Definitely. I, I think there's definitely like a, a certain consent that is like actively using a platform versus something that's a little more um subverted but i i don't even i don't know if that will be functional in the future i feel like the like major hardware platform creators don't really are kind of pushing away from that kind of like background collection as a concept yeah. and so I'm, I'm not sure if that's even if that might even is even what like spotify might be aiming for i the way i kind of read this patent was i imagined it is more of a um like while you're listening to Spotify, it's listening back um, mm. and, and trying to figure out what you're doing while you're listening to Spotify. 
So those interactions what? aren't like skipping songs or picking a playlist. It's like, oh, they're at a party. They're DJing. Yeah, I, I, I sort of understood it the same. What do we think about um what do you think about like Alexa? I think that a big a big thing that I guess we like kind of joke about or like I've kind of joked about is like, oh like Jeff Bezos is listening to us when you have like an Alexa in the room. And like they're definitely listening. They have kind of an open mic because you have to you have to say like Alexa, hello, or whatever you do. I don't know. I don't have one. But you have to like speak to it and then it acknowledges you but you can speak to it at any point in time and it gets triggered to turn on so i think that my concern is not necessarily that it's always listening but my concern is that it could be a security risk as well um so i think that it's pretty easy to hack into something like that and there have been a few high profile not high profile but i've seen a few articles about people getting their smart smart homes hacked basically and like hackers will can like terrorize children and stuff like that that you certainly don't want and look into your home and see what you're doing when you don't know so i would be concerned about the security implications of kind of like nefarious others rather than what i was saying before of just kind of like a company skimming my data and i do think that you're right about there is a distinction and it does matter um but that's probably I don't think that that was what I originally thought when I was reading it. Gotcha. The thing that like is always hard to to sort of tackle for me is it, like on the one hand, you know, I agree with Connor in the sense that um, our privacy as it is is sort of already an illusion, right? We like these companies already like know us so well. Um, that we we definitely shouldn't shouldn't assume that they don't. Um, but the other side of that is like the better the better they know us, the more power they have over our decisions, right? Because they 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 essentially know exactly how to manipulate us, how to best grab our attention, you know, what type of um I mean that that that's what they're always training on, right? They're they're training to basically make us the their perfect customers, interact with their app as much as possible, um, et cetera, et cetera. So even though that, even though in a way you'd think, okay, yeah, I want them to be really good at that because I want to get the best song recommendations, right? But but obviously, I mean, I I don't think it has to be said that you know, especially with social media, maybe not as much Spotify. Uh, <laughs> But I, but I could be wrong. Um, there's definitely there's definitely a threshold. Or there's definitely a level at which that becomes an addiction and it becomes an unhealthy uh, thing. And the fact that these companies are, you know, a force in that addictive direction uh, is not is not good. And uh, it, yeah, it's just it's just not a good thing. You know that they're they're using this information under the guise of uh, wanting to provide us a better service um, but a lot of the times that that can sort of transform into you know manipulating us into into addictive tendencies and you know it, it's okay. hard to draw the line and it's hard to 
it's hard to even grasp like how much of an effect that's already having in our lives and and whether or not that matters and whether or not we we're okay with that sort of trade-off you know it's it it's just hard nobody nobody has individually made that decision you just sort of have to opt in or not and you don't know to what extent um that's affecting you that's that's kind of a tough part well maybe that what you just said made me think about like who what what's the what's the solution here like you want would you want to be have this whole affair regulated you want to have government regulation because you think that the tools would be too powerful in giving us what we want that's that's kind of what it seems like it's like because it's addictive you think it's dangerous but plenty of things are addictive and dangerous and we do them all the time and we enjoy them right yeah no i mean yeah i agree I, I, I think go ahead now I, I was gonna say i think that one of the bigger issues is more like a function of choice like there are a handful of addictive and dangerous things that you can do but most of the classical yeah. things are more choice driven but like as time goes on and like markets consolidate with like historically weak antitrust action like single people having more control over your data and creating more addictive products when there's less and less choice in the market starts to become dangerous, I think. Like, okay. if you can only listen to Spotify and Spotify, like, really ties you down to that, then that's that's probably not good. I think that regulation is probably bad because regulation is often, like, both dated and lobbyable in a way that kind of entrenches, like, good and bad things for too long. I think that the the, like ideal in this kind of situation would be consumer choice uh, which like is a, a follow-on of like consumer education i think a lot of people don't realize that like they could have more control over their privacy there's like a strange group there's a strange kind of combination of people who think that it's either too late or don't know anything and both of those groups have the same kind of like decision patterns um but i that think it's like potential to recover this kinds of things I, I seem, think I one of the like things. Go, go, go ahead. ahead, Connor. Okay, yeah, I, I was just gonna say a quick comment. Like, I, I think um, to your point, Noah. I, I think one of the one of the other things um, that goes along with the like consumer education side is just that I think it's just not. I don't want to say it's not possible, but it, it's very difficult for your average consumer and and probably probably even above that right it's 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 very difficult for most of your consumer base to understand the extent to which you're using their data and like how that's affecting their the way they're interacting with the app like the the what what you can see from the consumer side is only what they're outputting to you and not all of the things that they're not outputting you know what i'm saying like they're, they're yeah, definitely. they could be outputting a, a million different feeds on your instagram right but you don't see any of that you only see the one that they are outputting so so to to sort of imagine all of the different scenarios that even are possible and 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 the ones that they've restricted you to you just don't have that you don't have that that perspective. You don't have that field of view. So it's very difficult 
for anyone to like at this point we all know to a certain extent like oh yeah okay our, our privacy is an illusion cool cool but i don't think we really know what that means i don't think we understand what these technologies would look like um if that weren't the case and whether or not that's an alternative um that's an alternative we 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 want or not it's hard to uh it's hard to make that judgment call um because of that i think yeah i i have a couple of thoughts on that the first one is i think that that concept of like consumers having a hard time really understanding the scope of the decisions they're making is definitely something i agree with but i think that like as a society we've overcome like similar constraints before like the thing that immediately jumps into my mind is uh like the tobacco industry i have no doubt when when like consensus was starting to form about tobacco and habitually smoking it being terrible for your health that people were like how are you going to communicate that like sure one cigarette or a pack a week feels great and is like just a normal habit but like once you do that for your whole life you're really asking for a lot of pain and i think we eventually communicate that to people and i think that's the kind of thing that like it, it takes like time and generations, but like better late than never, I think, as you can see with tobacco. Um, the second thing is I, I definitely agree that I think people don't even know what the alternatives are. And I think that that definitely leads to a lot of kind of of that like hopelessness. Cause it's like, if you don't even know what else you could be asking for, like what, if someone says like, hey, what else do you want? What would you rather have? And you don't even know to answer, then you're kind of stuck. But I think that there's a lot of, a lot of interesting concepts that if we were to like talk with like consumers more about what like big tech companies having their data meant, we'd start to like tap into what those better options are. But like even things just as much as um maybe maybe companies having your data isn't necessarily a problem, but it's something that you should consent to and possibly even be compensated for. Because your data is valuable, but for some reason it's not valuable in your hands. It's only valuable in the people who've taken it from you hands i guess um so that's like just an example of like an alternative that i think pretty quickly sounds appealing like at least if they're taking your data they're both making your product better and compensating you for it uh, but but yeah i think that's definitely like communicating that to consumers is definitely a a big unanswered question yeah i think that you know one one harebrained product idea that Rod proposed at one point that never ended up like flowering, but actually I think touches on this really well and, and kind of models itself after some of the ideas that Noah was expressing. Rod was like, what we need is a marketplace of data, but a transactional marketplace of data in which consumers are actually paid for their data. Uh, so like his proposal was that like, it's a marketplace of services, say like, uh, um, like search engines or applications or all sorts of these other platforms and you go there and they tell you what data they're going to be collecting for you. And then they offer it as an exchange for things that they can like perks or premiums they can offer you instead. Right. So like, the more data that you give them, the more of a power user you become on their app. And so like, it's all transactional in that sense. So like you give them something, they give you something in return. And the expectation is that like these platforms, you know, contract essentially with their users to exchange data in a way that is 
much more transparent than has historically been the case. Um, and so then it then it kind of makes this more of a matter of consumer autonomy and, and consumer decision making than it is about consumers being exploited. I think that's a cool idea in a sense, but I think it would end up boiling down to a system that's not unlike what already exists, which is essentially that the the power in that marketplace is is overwhelmingly going to be um, in the hands of the applications and the platforms that provide the service that they're providing for you. And it goes back to Noah's problem. It's like a lot of these tech companies, a lot of these platforms are usually fulfilling a certain niche that a lot of other companies aren't doing and and once they you know once they grow and and get a hold of that market or or whatever um they they sort of set the standard for you know what what's what's normal and what's not so i think what would end up happening in that sort of system is like okay cool yeah you you have we have to uh there's this transactional idea and we're going to tell you what data we need from you and um and we're going to offer you these perks blah blah blah. but like it's just really going to end up being at least is what i think it's just not going to end up being too different than what it is now in the sense that they'll just break down the services that they're already offering you into a series of perks where the full service that you're already being offered, let's say Spotify, everything that Spotify offers me right now would be like the highest tier um, of that perk system, right? So it's like, sure, I can I can be like a loser Spotify user, but I only get to stream like 10 songs a day and like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like they, they could make it so uh, so prohibitive for you to not be to not take advantage of the full perks that, you know, there's, it, it, it would be, it would be difficult for there to be competition that would, um, that would make those companies have to really fight for your data is what I think. That's a good point. I, I, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't want to try defending necessarily the idea uh, too, too thoroughly. And I think that's a, a really valid, like, I guess, explanation of how it might fail. Um, so. I, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, I I find I guess a little bit more hope in the kind of uh like competitive aspect of something like that. Like if someone is refusing to offer you uh like adequate service without data they don't actually need. Like if they're holding your experience hostage, that that does create a space for someone to come in and now compete. Especially because I think that like a lot of what makes current market leaders in all of these like lifestyle services successful is the fact that they already have the data. So if it was easier for up and comers to convince you, hey, hand me over your data and I'll offer you a better service. And that was something that was like more apparently kind of actionable as a user that I think that that would like end up preventing that issue because the second Spotify becomes the worst service people are driven to choose something that's better. So at the risk of sounding a little bit libertarian, I guess. <laughs> what what about I think there's a pretty straightforward tie in here to like like 23andMe and DNA kind of technology. 
where that's like literal like biological data and they de-identify it and they use it for you can use it for research they sell it they make money off of it but there's not really a situation where like you can sell your own dna for your own biological data yeah you used to be able to purposes. do more of that kind of like self-selling of biological matter and that's recently become less of a a thing you can do right if i'm if i well, know my with your dna you only get one you know i guess you only get like one shot right yeah yeah but like people used to let you there used to be like different types of compensation for like donating blood for example that now are mm -hmm. kind of considered i think you can still donate you can donate plasma and eggs i guess I mean, you can't point. donate eggs but the the royal you yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, Connor, I, I think that DNA, like many of the other data points that we're talking about, uh, is extremely identifiable. <laughs> um, I was actually right. looking at the 23andMe's, uh, data sharing plan, because I was reading a lot about privacy in the last few days to prepare for this, uh, and realized that I was allowing 23andMe to share my data with external, uh, uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, what 23andMe promises me is that they're sharing a de-identified version of my, of my DNA. Uh, but, but they share a de-identified version of my DNA along with my age, my ethnicity, uh, my address, you know? And it's Your like, address. oh, or, or I mean, not my, maybe not my address, but like they, they share. I wonder what three-year-old man lives in, uh, on uh, whatever street. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> don't, dox, don't dox him on our. Yeah, phone. yeah. <laughs> We're doxing Akshay. <okay. laughs> no, I'll bleep it out. It'll be funny to listen to. <laughs> it's like, it's like oh shit! Person. That's my bad. That's my bad. No, it's okay. It's okay. Like... That's why I edit. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. We gotta save Akshay our boy from getting at... doxed. Y'all, y'all could have, y'all could have stopped me. I was like. I was stumbling on the address. Like you, you, you could have just come in and, and stopped me. I thought you were gonna say a fake address, honestly. No. Yeah, the main point here is that <laughs> if twenty three and me doesn't sell your data, Santi will. Yeah. <laughs> just give it away for free. <laughs> and uh, and the extrapolation is the thing you worry about. And so, quote unquote, this marketplace of data would have to be really regulated or else you'd end up with people just like essentially just giving away all sorts of stuff about themselves. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Santi. I was just going to say you would also like, like you were saying it has to be really regulated, right? Cause you would also have to somehow make sure that that marketplace of data that's actually storing all of this data, or I, I guess, depending on how it was set up, it, it wouldn't necessarily have to be that way, but, um, you would also have to prevent them from maybe profiting off of the data that you're that you yourself are storing in there, you know, with them. But but apart from that, I did want to I did want to mention something that I that I that like popped into my head as Connor was talking about um, sort of selling biological data. Um, it made me think that this sort of transactional idea of uh you know data for service um i think it would i think it would have 
okay, what I'm trying to say is I think what would end up happening is that there would be certain demographics of data that would be a lot more valuable than others. So for example, if you're a young person or I don't know, basically if you if if you if you're in some demographic that has a lot of money, you're probably a very valuable um data point and so you can expect more from that transaction from your data and then someone that is in some sort of demographic that doesn't have a lot of money probably not as valuable um and i think that 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 would create um this weird i mean you know it's not that that doesn't already exist where <laughs> people with money have advantages over people without but uh but i think it's interesting how it would come into this this space and I'm sure that that already exists, actually, when, when companies are selling data to each other. Um, it would just Wait, be so you're, interesting. You're, Say that again, Carter? Your, your, your argument is that like people with money have more valuable DNA? No, no. I, it, it doesn't have to do with biological data. Sorry. It, it oh, just, for some reason, that, when you were talking about that, it made me think of it. Right? Like some company probably wants to do some analysis on my data to be able to, like, market to me most effectively um and they're gonna care if i am a lot more financially capable of paying for their product over a long period of time than someone that maybe isn't right i'm i'm, I'm more of like a okay. I'm, I'm a more lucrative customer for them potentially so and like i said i'm sure i'm sure that that already happens when companies are selling you know uh, big chunks of data to others. Um, there are probably subsets of that data that are that are more valuable than others, um, and I'm sure that 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 uh, comes into play when they're pricing that type of stuff. But it would be interesting to see in this theoretical data marketplace. Um, you know, you, you would just have individuals who would just have more valuable data and and could leverage that to get better services for really no reason other than having money but in this case they're not even spending the money like it's not even like i have more money so i can buy this expensive thing it's like i have more money so people are just going to give me all this stuff in hopes that i buy their their product mm. which is interesting yeah there's definitely an interesting equity question around that as well like if if people with more expensive data like get better services and like that more expensive data being like a function of their ability to purchase more expensive stuff. Like all of a sudden, like getting good Spotify means that you like, you better be a good online shopper and buy a lot of things. Otherwise they won't pay attention to you. Yeah. I mean, now that I'm saying that, I wonder if that's already somehow a thing. Yeah, you can they're like you can already go and see the at least for like an advertising standpoint for most of the big ad networks what they are like advertising you as. Um so I'm sure if you collected like a couple hundred random people, you could do an interesting study into like what ad profiles those people get. But it's also interesting just to go and look at for yourself what Google and Facebook and Amazon think you want in internet ads i i think that one other thing that i that I wanted to talk about today 
was the eventual market competition between privacy forward and privacy neutral companies and implementations of current algorithms that allow uh, for privacy forward companies to basically offer the same services that a privacy neutral company does, but without making money off your data. Um, so what does that mean? So let's take Google. So the way Google basically makes buttloads of money off of you as a consumer is that you go to Google, you type in things, it tracks literally everything you do uh, when you're on Google. You know, how many things you scroll past, what things you click on. Uh, now that they have Chrome, they also know how long you spend reading the articles that you click on and, and everything, right? Like the entire, um, the entire way, uh, the entire interaction that you have uh, is, is captured, monetized, and sold. So a competitor. There are other competitors in the space that are arguing for essentially uh, financially successful search engines that don't do this, that somehow, some way, don't actually track your data. The most famous of them is one called DuckDuckGo, uh, and DuckDuckGo is basically uh, very privacy forward in that they say we will not collect any of your data. Like that's not at all part of our mission. We're not going to do it. We have no plan on doing it. Uh, there's nothing implemented in our code that can do it. What we'll do instead is we'll offer a greater volume of ads. So in order to make up for the lack of personalization of your experience uh, and lack of personalization of ads, DuckDuckGo essentially has to throw more ads at you in order to generate revenue. So when, when a funder comes and says, like, oh, should I be funding DuckDuckGo? What they'll say is, like, no, we can't throw the same quality of ads at users as, as Google can, but we can throw more. So they just make up for it by, by increasing the quantity. So that's one way of getting around this uh, privacy conundrum is that you can just increase the quantity of ads. There is a second model of privacy forward search engines that, that approaches this from a different angle. So there's one that's kind of growing in popularity in Europe right now called Zayn, X-A-Y-N. And what they want to do is do a personalized search entirely on your device. So they use something called federated machine learning. So machine learning is the group of all the algorithms that people like Google use to collect information about you, build a model about you, and then predict the kinds of ads you're going to like. Uh, and they also use it to improve your search results, right? So they, uh, you know, flag certain results that you're most likely to click on, bring them to the top. It makes your experience on Google that much better. And what has to happen is they have to collect your data, send it to some server on Google server, train some sort of large numerical model, and then use it to improve your experience. Recently, Google patented a system called Federated Learning where they send the model to your computer or to your phone rather than having all of your data be sent to them. They send the model to you, it trains on your device, and then it improves your experience on the device without them ever needing to send your data back to their servers. So this is a way of actually doing personalization without data collection. So the model gets sent to you, it's downloaded onto your computer, it trains on your computer, and then it improves your experience right there. This has been powered by the fact that we have 
much better devices now with much more processing power that allow them to do things like this. So Zane was like, okay, this is great. Google doesn't actually plan on using it that extensively. Uh, for them, at least, it's a novelty and it's a cool thing, but they're going to continue collecting your data because that's where their profit line is. They're like, let's use this technology, but not collect your data. Like, let's actually use this the way it's supposed to be used, which is let's send the model to people's uh, phones, collect information about them right then and there, and then that's it. And the way we'll make money, the way we'll be profitable, is that we will sell a premium version of this uh, to businesses uh, or um, you know, universities or enterprises, basically. And so my question, or I guess like the conundrum for me is like, will companies like that be able to stay alive? Um, it seems like DuckDuckGo is compromising on the experience by just throwing a ton of ads at you in order to be able to make money. And then Zane is compromising on their profit lines because they're hoping that companies or enterprises or universities would be willing to pay for a premium version of their service, which I think is actually pretty unlikely. Um, so how can we maybe support privacy-forward companies in being successful, but they don't have really any way of making money or more than the current privacy-neutral companies like, say, at Google? So I, I thought this was interesting, and I was curious about hearing y'all's thoughts on this, um, because it seems like there's no real, real good financial way forward for these alternatives that are privacy um, valuing. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think my, when I imagine a company like that being successful, it, it is like via that, like the user choice. And that's, I guess, where the value is captured is like, sure, the service may be less good or may make less money, but be because it like provides that extra bit of value to the user, it like is able to scale more efficiently or the user is willing to put up with more ads uh and that like kind of creates the window for their growth even though they're like accepting a worse bottom line you know per unit or whatever uh and so i mean i think that it's like a little bit of happy thinking because you really have to imagine like everyone's some like privacy-minded obsessive consumer that's finding the like best option for them but i think there's been a pretty strong push for the last little while and i feel like it's it hasn't really kind of been snuffed out by the continued success of like the googles and facebook's of the world so i'm i'm, I'm hopeful that as those kind of large entities face like kind of continued regulatory scrutiny that it that combined with more educated consumers kind of opens the door for smaller less percent profitable companies to uh, get a footing. Dope. I'm, I'm glad you're enthusiastic about it. That, that makes me uh, <laughs> a little bit reassured. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of a, like, one-sided optimism. Because I like... How do you mean? It, it comes from a knowledge that the alternative is, like, so much worse that you almost have to root for the optimistic view. That makes sense. Hmm. But it it really genuinely does seem like regulators are finally paying attention to the kind of like rampant, <laughs> basically abuses that like Google and Amazon have been have been getting away with 
since their founding. So maybe it's maybe it's a little bit more than optimism, I guess, in that angle. Reckless optimism. Great. Right, cool stuff. This was a this was a good episode. Thanks, thanks everyone for uh, for coming let through. Know, let us know in the comments uh, what you guys think, and uh, you know what thoughts we'll you guys reading. have. We'll yeah, be reading all guys, every a, comment. A worse a worse Spotify that uh, was more respectful of your data and privacy. Like is like and subscribe. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Smash the like button, baby. Smash that like button. All right, get Greg out of here.